Hi, you've just downloaded or otherwise accessed a podcast of Cross Point Church and the teaching ministry presented through our weekly Sunday morning worship. Feel free to burn a copy of this file when you're finished and pass it along to a friend you think might also benefit from the teaching. We hope you enjoy the message today, and thanks again for taking the time to visit. Why are we here today? <clears throat> oh, gee, well, now that you ask it, I don't know. Let's go home. Um, no, have you ever thought about why Christians do church? Why we show up on Sunday mornings? It's because it's the first day of the week and the Lord's Day. But most folks attend church on Sundays, like we're doing here this morning, either out of some level of habit or some level of hunger or something in between those two most of the time. Um, and I hope, I hope there, there are folks in churches all across America today, and I hope you're here because of this word relevance. And what, I'm, what that means literally is something that matters. And I hope, you're, I hope you're, you're, your attendance to church and your, your hunger for spiritual things are because they matter, because you found them to be important. You found them to, to make a difference. You found them to matter in your life. Paul speaks to this Thessalonians, these Thessalonian Christians about that kind of thing. And so let's look at this text together and look at the things that make church relevant or should make church relevant to all of us. Verse 13 of chapter 2. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you have heard from us, you accepted it not as human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your fellow Gentiles the same things those churches suffered from the Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. But brothers and sisters, when you were orphaned and being separated for, uh, for a short time in person, though not in thought, out of your intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not in you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Now, I hope we'll see some relevance to church today by seeing some things that he says are important here in this text. One, the first being, a church shows its relevance by staying true to an ever-relevant word. Staying true to an ever-relevant word. Look at what he says in verse 13. We also thank God continually because you received the word of God which you heard from us. You accepted it not as human word but as it actually is the word of God. To other churches besides the Thessalonican church, Paul often tied the word written, which was at that time the prophets, and the word spoken, which was at that time the stories, the gospel. He often tied those two together so that they would see the validity in both. The Thessalonican church didn't need that. He says, you're hearing the spoken word. You're hearing the word, and in and, and the Old Testament was was canonized, was, was put together at about 250 A.D., and the New Testament books were, were put together about 100 years after that, about 350, 60 A.D. So all they had was the prophets and the spoken word of God from his called apostles. 
So what he's saying here to them is, you, you have received this spoken word, these stories of the gospel, this, uh, the, the, the letters that I've sent, the teaching that's been done. You, you've received this word as the word, as his word. You haven't had to have it validated by the prophets. You haven't, had to, you haven't had to see the two mesh together for it to have resonance in your heart. It has resonance in your heart simply because you've heard it to be true and believed it to be true. So the question comes to us then, is that enough for us? Is his word enough for us? Whether it's spoken, as I'm doing today, or in a, in a context of a small group or something else, or whether you read it on your own, the scripture on your own, is his word enough to keep you motivated in the faith? Is it enough to, to, to bring you back again and again if church was done away with? If there were never any churches meeting anymore, would you still be able to walk with Jesus? You would or wouldn't based on your commitment to his word. Simple. So if his word's enough for you to sustain you, and it is, and it should be, not that you should stop coming to church. Uh, we're, we're encouraged to do that. But if his word is enough to, to, to sustain us, and it should be, then... Are we, is the pursuit of it, is, is, is there, in essence, are we coming out of hunger or out of habit? Is there enough hunger for us to continue to pursue his word? Do we, do we see its relevance in our life it, it, in, the, in the fact that it matters um, to us to, enough to pursue it and go after it? Only you can answer that, not me. Secondly, a church shows its relevance by staying faithful in an ever-changing culture. Look at what he says in verse 14 in the first part of verse 15. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your fellow Gentiles the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. Both the Jewish and Gentile cultures um, were, what he's saying here in essence, intolerant of Christians who, he uses the word imitators of God's churches. They were intolerant of somebody who actually lived out their faith. And he's saying here that in church after church after church, especially across Judea, these converted Jews and Messianic Jews now who, who recognize Jesus as Messiah, they're intolerant of somebody who looks like him, though. If you believe the right things, great. They're going to accept you in and love you with open arms. But they are growing increasingly intolerant of folks who actually walk like Jesus and look like him. Why? Because folks like that create a contrast between us, don't they? Folks who look like Christ have his mannerisms, his thoughts, his nature, his ways stand in stark contrast from folks that don't. And they stand in stark contrast in church after church after church after church this morning. Folks who are living an active and, and, and vibrant and alive faith in Jesus and folks who are culturally Christians. There's a, there's, a, there's a stark contrast between those folks and lost folks and those folks and cultural Christians. And he's saying here, in an ever-changing culture, we need to stay faithful to the things that are true, faithful to the things that matter. Um, sound familiar? It should because you and I are being marginalized with every increasing year and every increasing decade in our culture. Um, you are referred to, whether you realize it or not, probably, as one of the religious right. You're referred to as, a, as an evangelical Christian. And your ways and your ideas and your mannerisms are imposing your morals on our culture. Um, I don't know whether that bothers you or not, but I kind of like that. I kind of like being a religious right. I kind of like being a radical, being referred to as a radical, the radical right. If I'm right, if, 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 I'm, if I'm standing true to his word, I'm okay being called that. If I'm out on my own, flying my own way, uh, then I don't, I don't expect God to bless that. But if I'm standing in the right, and th those, those are a badge of honor. 
I, I hope, I hope in, in an ever polarized culture, you can see some of those terms that are, that are bantered about, about you and I, uh, today as something that we should, it should build us up, not, not tear us down, not make us ashamed. It should encourage us that our life is sticking out to the, to the, to the extent that, that, that the culture is being penetrated. I mean, what are we, are we, it's amazing to me that in America we're having fights about the Ten Commandments being up in courthouses. It's amazing to me that in America, and there's, there's a lawsuit, lawsuit in Colorado going on now about removing in God we trust from our currency. It's been going on for several years. It's been bantered about in, in appellate court. But those, those kinds of things, uh, and, and I don't know, maybe they shouldn't. Maybe I'm just too, I'll get mad too easily. But those kind of things ruffle my feathers. I mean, they bother me that, that forefathers who founded this nation on Christian, Christian principles and really basically on the word of God, the, 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 the Constitution has many similar phrases even from the Scripture, borrowed phrases from the Scripture. And folks who founded this nation as a Christian nation, now we've strayed far from that, but on our own and willingly, and, 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 and the church has allowed it and, and condoned it in, in some cases even. But we, the, the principles that you and I hold dear today are, are, are under attack, and you and I are, um, we're either going to stand for them or, and with them and on them and, and say that they're true and we should live by them, or we're going to kind of allow ourselves to be mummed, our mouths to be shut, and grow numb to a, a culture who is, as I say, growing increasingly intolerant of us. Uh, I hope you see some of the stark contrast that's that's in our culture, and 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 see it not from the standpoint of <laughs> I won this election, or I, we we won this piece of legislation, or we won this. I, I hope you don't see it that way. I hope you see it from the standpoint of how he's trying to get these Thessalonican Christians to see it, and that is this: Will you just stay faithful to things that matter? Will you stay faithful to things? Will you be imitators of Christ? Will you stay faithful to things that matter? If you do that. People are going to see Christ in our culture. They're going to see him in our churches. They're going to see him in our lives. They're going to see him in the way we handle money, in the way we parent, in the way we do marriage. And it's going to be in stark contrast from how our culture does those things. And the failure in our culture at, at, at those kinds of things are going to draw a lost culture to Christ. We're not going to have to beat him over the head with the scripture or at the, or at the ballot box. I hope we win at the ballot box. And I hope the scripture is relevant. I hope we, I hope we hold it high. But the lives we lead, the, the decisions we make, the, the, the mannerisms we have, the attitudes we have is what, bring people to a desire to come to know him. Thirdly, um, not only staying true to an ever-relevant word and staying faithful to an ever-changing culture, a church shows its relevance by staying consistent to an everlasting message. Consistent to an everlasting message. Look at the latter part of verse 15. They displease God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep, uh, keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they heap sins up to the limit and the wrath of God has come upon all of them. Now, this culture was, at that time, and our culture is today, hostile, uh, hostile to the gospel. Why? Because, it, as I said earlier, it creates such a, such a contrast, and, it, and it, it points to the fact that, if we're true to it, points to the fact that there is a heavenly home waiting for Christians. There is a promised place, and there is a pr- place promised for those who don't know Jesus. And, and hell's a real place, and heaven's a real place, and here we stand alive on the earth in between those two places and in between those two destinies and destinations. And so the starker the contrast grows between those things, um, the, 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 more, the more our values are challenged, the more, uh, the, the more our belief systems are challenged and pushed against by a culture um, that, that, that's, that doesn't want to see him. Um, it's, um, 
it's amazing to me that the it's amazing to me the things you and I have absorbed in the name of tolerance. And and we need to be tolerant of people's failures because why? We failed too. Um, but it's amazing to me the things that, that believers in America have been have, have 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 absorbed under the name of tolerance. And and we don't need to be, become judgmental. Don't let the pendulum swing all the way over there. That's not what I'm saying. But but there is there's a stand you and I need to take. There are positions you and I need to take as believers because we know Jesus. When things are in line with the scripture, we need to hold them high. When things are in contrast to God's word, we need to stand against them. And whatever that looks like, if that means in your home, at the place where you work, if that means among your peers, among your family, if that means in how you vote and how you, whatever that looks like for you, we need to find ourselves in an obedience to things that look like God's word. And as I said, you know, anything, anything goes over here and, and everything's wrong over here. We need to find ourselves somewhere in between there to, to, to being Christ in the middle of a dark place and being Jesus in the middle of a culture who needs to see him and his love for us and for them. Fourthly, a church shows its relevance by staying motivated by the glory of God. Look at verses 19 and 20. He speaks to that there. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not in you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. Paul is writing here both personally and prophetically. He's writing personally about the fact that he has mentored this, and we talked about that last week as we looked at mentoring. He has mentored these, these Thessalonican Christians, and he's saying, you are my joy. The, the fact that, that you want to walk like Christ, you want to look like him, and his word is good, is good enough for you, and that's all you need to stay motivated, that his glory is, is coming out of the cracks of your life and out of the reputation of your church in the community of Thessalonica, that's glory enough for me. It fills my tank to know that I've made an investment in you and the investment I've made in you is now has a ripple effect in your community and in your world and in your life and in your walk. He's saying, personally, I, I take a great deal of satisfaction in that. But he's also saying, prophetically, the glory of God should be enough for us. The glory of God should be enough motivation for us to live for Christ. And, and the, uh, it's... it's It's this, this glory and this crown of honor that he's talking about here in verse 20 are, are not only personal for him, but as, he, as he's saying, the, the, the crown of honor for you and I is, is to come. And so this glory then should be motivation for us now. The only question about that for you and I is, is it? Do we need the constant stroking of the Holy Spirit, the constant stroking of another Christian? You're doing a good job. Hang in there. Nothing wrong with any of those things. But our motivation, he's saying here in these verses, should be the coming glory that we receive for having walked with him. The glory is to come. It's not here. The glory is to come. So is that then enough motivation for us now? He's saying it should be. He's saying a a, a detained, a a delayed glory, a delayed sense of worth and value and and, and payment and, and reward and crown he uses here should be enough to cause us to stay motivated, to stay living where we need to stay living, to stay impacting where we need to stay impacting, to stay motivated for uh, things of the faith more so than oftentimes we are. So here's the question. Is the glory of God then enough motivation for us now? I don't know. I don't know. We need, we need, um, we've become like children in our, in our culture. Children in our culture Go to, go to any, any program at school 
And look at how many cameras pop out. I mean, there's phones up, there's video cameras, there's, there's, and there's a commercial on TV about this now. I can't remember the, the phone that it's, that it's advertising, but, but it's, you know, it's, all these phones pop up, and, and the phone in the back of the room is the one that's being advertised. It has a, some mega zoom on it, I guess. But, but you, go to, you go to any... Pro- I don't ever remember... Well, there weren't... Well, there were video cameras when I was growing up, but, and my mom and dad had a camera. But I don't ever remember a ball game. I don't ever remember a music program that I was in, a concert. Or, I don't ever remember them ever coming to anything to take a picture of me. Now, did that bruise my self-esteem? <laughs> I didn't care whether my picture was taken or not because I knew that the world didn't center around me at my house. And so I say all that to say this, that, that we, are, we are growing up in an increasing generation where, where children are exalted to the place. And hear me, hear me, hear me good here now. Don't, don't run off and, and, and run off on some tangent. But we are exalting children to the, to the place to where their esteem, their value is higher than the Scripture places it. The most paramount thing in the home, according to the Scripture, the most paramount thing in the home is the bond between a husband and a wife. Everything supersedes, everything is, is underneath that. Their, their role to children as a mother and father is of paramount importance. And the role of the child in the home is one to grow, to serve, to love, to see, to be fed, to, to develop um, into somebody, a, a, another grown adult that brings glory to God. So all of that to say, I think sometimes we in our faith, we, we, we are growing like children. We need 15 cameras on us all the time to capture our life and then post it up on Facebook the next day. Here's my kid's latest triumph. Nothing wrong with any of those things. They're not evil. But we're, we're growing with a warped sense of, of, of what we need to stroke us, to motivate us. And I would submit that it's filtered into adulthood. I would submit to you that, that most adults now need somebody to come alongside of them every, every, every whip stitch and say, see, you know, you're doing great. Hang in there, buddy. You, you know, Jesus really, I, I see him coming out. And he's saying here the glory, the delayed glory of God ought to be enough motivation for every believer. We shouldn't need to be come alongside, somebody come alongside of us and stroke us every week, every month. Every. Now, it's fine to do that, and I encourage you to, to do that because we're in a culture that's coming out that, we're against an enemy we saw a few weeks ago that's trying to devour us. I mean, he's trying to annihilate us. And so we need the encouragement of each other. I'm not saying we don't. But that's not the sole thing that motivates us to live for Jesus, or nor it shouldn't be at least. So he's saying here, is this delayed reward, is this delayed glory, this crown, enough for you now? And I would say looking on our culture, the most, most Christians in our culture, probably not. Probably not, but... But you and I, are, we, we should find ourselves moving. In, if we're going to move in a direction, let's move in that direction. Not the fact that we need more sizzle to our faith to motivate us to, to, to take it to the next level. We should see that our, our promise for our reward is coming, not here. And so if we're confusing those two things, we're, we're in a place where the enemy has all kinds of footholds to step into our life. Now, I realize that's hard truth to hear. Um, but whatever, deal with it. Um, <clears throat> here's, here is, here is a couple of observations as, as we kind of wrap this up. And I want, I hope this, this strikes home to you as it has me. And that's this, a church stays relevant oftentimes or should, but, but does effectively by, and I'm, I'm trying to capsulize this teaching today in this thought. Churches stay relevant by recognizing the difference between the timely and the timeless. Things that are 
current and, and eventful and should stay current and eventful and things that will never, ever, ever, ever change. Um, what are those things? Timely things are music styles. Timely things are hairstyles. Timely things are technology. Timely things are heating and air conditioning. Timely things, those, those kinds of things, great things. But the kingdom doesn't rise and fall on those things. Uh, and, and the effectiveness of our ability to reach people doesn't rise and fall on those things. Sadly, we're, we're, we're compelled toward those things more often than we should be. The timeless things are his word, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the story of his salvation for us, worship, discipleship, the promise of his return. Those are timeless things. Those are timeless truths that you and I can hang on to and the news from which we can share with others around us. Sadly, in our culture, I think we're, we're focusing more energies and more efforts on the timely than we are on the timeless. And you, that needs to sift through your heart and, and, and you, do, you deal with that however you want to deal with it, whether it's true, whether it's false. But that's the first question I want to ask as we go, and that is this. Are we more concerned with the timely or the timeless? Are we more concerned with the method or the message? Are we more concerned with the cool factor or life change? There are folks, in fact, I had a conversation with a guy that I've known for several years. I ran into about a week or a week and a half ago. And I said, where are you worshiping now? Are you still at such and such church? No, no, that's, that's three churches ago. Three churches ago, what's what? He said, "No, no, I'm, I'm down at such and such." He said, the, "The the teaching down there, and the music, and the worship down there, and the kids' programs down there." He said, "It's just, it's just, it's just off the chain. It's incredible, incredibly good." And and I know this guy's history, and I know that <clears throat> what he's been, what his church history has been, church plant to church plant to church plant. And I, I didn't, I didn't tell him this. I said, "Well, you know, I hope, I hope that does it for you." I hope you find a home where you can put down some roots there and stay there and, and develop some sense of community there. What I was saying indirectly to him was, will you get over the cool factor and move to what really matters in church? I didn't have enough relationship with him to say that or I would have said it that way. But we need to get over the cool factor because here's the thing. Um, sooner or later, everything stops being cool. I don't care what it is. Sooner or later, every, even, even, even you, sooner or later, we stop being cool. The things we're doing stop, stops being. Now, now, what are we left with when, we, when that happens? We're either left with, we're going to stick, we're going to do it this way for the next hundred years, and I don't care who, you know, you come in and try and change us. I was here before you got here. I'll be here after you're gone. I mean, we can, we can, we can entrench ourselves over things that don't matter. We can entrench ourselves over the timely, or we can entrench ourselves over the timeless and hold high those things, his word, the gospel, his return. His, the sense of discipling others that he commanded us to do. I wonder when, don't you wonder what two, three, four generations behind you, what church will look like to them? Um, church was pretty stagnant until the 1990s. And early in the 1990s, some things began to happen across Christianity, certainly in America and, and to, to a certain extent around the world. But things began to happen in Christianity in the 1990s. Baby boomers began, became more intolerant of church and started to stay away. And some, some folks started pioneering some new methods. The message was true and should have been true. It wasn't, wasn't everywhere, but for the most part. 
and and churches begin to the, the landscape of church begin to change and, and what you and I are doing today here inside a very old building is taking a timeless gospel and trying to communicate it in, in a timely way with time timely methods and and ideas and concepts and things that that will will capture and keep your attention to the extent that you'll hear it digest it and regurgitate it in a culture so as the church begin to change, we begin to find ourselves, many churches begin to find ourselves in the sense of what matters, what doesn't. What's a hill I'm willing to die on, a hill I'm not willing to die on? What is the timely from the timeless? What, what really matters? What are the things of significance and the things that aren't? And I hope as you've, I hope as you've grown in your faith and you've become exposed to to modern church, whatever it looks like. I don't like the term contemporary because it's always a moving target. But whatever, whatever church in our day and age look like, looks like to you, I hope, I hope you're, you are sowing into the generation or two behind, or three or four behind you, stay true to these things. The rest of it doesn't matter. I mean, the two or three generations now, they may be worshiping with holograms, things that are in 3D up in front of you. I don't know what it will look like from, from a standpoint of in, incorporating technology and those kind of things in worship, but here's what I believe to be true among folks that want to know Jesus and want to stay true to him is it don't matter what the method is. And it doesn't matter about the technology and the cool factor and the glitz and the sizzle. It doesn't matter about any of that. Is the gospel still relevant? Is his word still relevant? Is it still changing lives of people around us? Are people compelled to our church because it's, we're doing all the cool things? Or are people compelled to our church because they see life change in people's, in, in people's world, in, people's, in how they think and how they function, how they do parenting and, and, and business and marriage? And those, are people seeing life change or is it something else? Well, the timely may attract my friends. And... And that's true. I mean, there, there. I, I know of. I can think of dozens, literally, of families that I know have been in this church and that church and the other church because there's something a little cooler, a little more hip, a little more current, a little whatever, for either them or their children. And I, you know, people should look for ways for their children to grow and be disciple. But that's their responsibility, not the church's. Just lay that where, where it is to chew on that however you want to. Um, <clears throat> well, I'm laying a lot, a lot, a lot, of, a lot of hard truth out here today, and. Anyway, my, my point is this. The, the cool may attract my friends for a while. But, but the, the timeless things will change their heart. It will change their eternity forever. It will change their eternity and their heart forever. The timeless things will. If we can see the difference between those two things and we can see what is of value and what isn't, I think it will be easier for us to, to understand how to penetrate a culture effectively. Because we are, if we're penetrating a culture effectively with the timely and we're not really seeing life change, it's time we start talking about some timeless things. It's time we start paying attention to the things that, that will move inside somebody's heart and change their life. Now, you don't throw the timely out with the bathwater. You don't throw the, 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 the ways to get an unchurched culture back into church again. The ways to, to, to reach a, uh, folks out here that think church is, is dead and been dead for the last 50 years and you don't throw those things out because, because they, they become vehicles to get somebody exposed to the timeless things. But you don't elevate them beyond where they need to be elevated. And I think that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying this delayed, this delayed gratification, this, this delayed glory should help you see the timeless things from the timely things and hold high the timeless things. 
Keep them always in an elevated place. Don't ever let the ti- don't don't throw the timely out. Just don't ever let them elevate above to be elevated above the timeless. See the things that matter from the things that will change over time, over generations. These things will stay the same. These things will change, and it's okay that they change, and it's okay that they change in your church. Uh, change is inevitable, but never bring these things inequality with the timeless. He's saying you'll 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 see some distortions start to occur in your life and in church, and we do, and we will. So. I hope today that, that what, we, what you leave with is I'm in church. I'm in this church because of relevance, because it matters, because there's something going on here that matters, That's the worship moves me, the teaching I, grows me, the, 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 the fellowship stirs me. There's something happening here that matters. I, I can recognize the timeless from the timely, and I, I can see a distinction. I mean, we're in the, as I said earlier, we're in an old building here. Uh, and, and, and doing some things in, in different ways. However, the building doesn't change our hearts, does it? It's the Word that changes our hearts. The, the, the trappings, the, the, these things don't change our hearts. It's, it's, it's the Holy Spirit that changes our hearts. He comes in. He, the freedom that we allow Him to have in our life, the, the, the ways in which we do relationships, and both with him and with us, those are the things that change us. Those are the things that make us look more like him and, and live a life that's more contagious than, than not. Uh, well, I hope we see those things today. Uh, chew on that. Chew on that. Chew on, chew on the timely versus the timeless and, and how much value and elevation I'm putting to both of those things. I do that regularly, and I don't like what I see sometimes. Sometimes I elevate the timely. Um, more than I should, and I don't, uh, I don't hold the timeless in, in as high regard. I hope that's not true of you. Thanks again for listening to today's message from Cross Point Church, helping people navigate the journey toward an authentic, biblical, and contagious walk with Christ.